The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is my home base. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and is an extension of the work I do at Elise Cortez & Associates and also my own research around meaning and work. I'll introduce my guest in just a moment here, but let me thank my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. If you don't know them, Jobbing.com is the leading locally focused job board in the nation. They are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard and giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Great partnership. Thank you, Jobbing.com. For this week's conversation, with me is David Lee of Human Nature at Work, and who is also an internationally recognized authority on organizational and managerial practices that optimize employee performance. David is the author of Managing Employee Stress and Safety and Storytelling for Trainers, as well as nearly 100 articles and book chapters on employee and organizational performance that have been published in North America, Europe, India, Australia, and China. We will be doing a slightly different show today in that first, David will interview me. <laughs> How about that? About my research in meaning and work in relation to identity. Then in the second segment, we'll talk about an article he wrote in 2012 called, Here's Why Your Employees Just Aren't Into You. Aren't that into you? And in the final segment, we'll each weigh in and share our thoughts about employee engagement and performance and what companies are doing to foster it or not. David, it's great to have you with me. Welcome to the Working on Purpose show. Wow, that was a lot to get out of my show, a lot of W's. Um, okay, it's great well, to be here, Elise. <laughs> um, this is going to be fun. I haven't had anybody on my show interview me, so hit me. What do you, what do you want to know? I know we want to talk about my research, but what do you want to know about it? Yeah, so I think the area of meaning and work is such an under-recognized or under-utilized uh, human need. And so when you mentioned when we reconnected about that you had done a lot of research on that, I just really wanted to hear more about what you found in your research. Okay. Well, let me back up if we can. I, I, I want to give the, the listeners an understanding of where the whole idea came from, and then I'll, we'll talk about what I found and what I think it means. Great. So when I was doing my PhD, I happened to be just starting um, a new role way back in, this is 1998, uh, as an account manager selling um, IT staffing services, information technology staffing services in Seattle, Washington. And I was really enthralled with those people that I was working with. I thought they were smart. They were interesting. They were doing cool work. You know, they were changing how we communicated, how we practiced healthcare, how we got around in terms of our transportation, all kinds of things. And I just was 
really amazed with that. And I wanted to understand where they were in their work. What did it mean to them? I thought it was cool, but what did they think of it? And so as I was nosing around for what was I going to write about or what was I going to investigate for my dissertation, I I began just talking with some of the consultants that we were working with about what they thought about their work and what it meant to them. And I remember very distinctly one man telling me, he was an engineer at Boeing at the time, he said, the reason I got into information technology so many years ago is because I thought it would have the second greatest impact on man, second only to fire. Mm. And I thought... Wow, if I went to work every day thinking I had that kind of an impact, what would that do for the the lilt in my mm. step, right? And 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 so I thought, well, that's really interesting. So clearly his work has some semblance of informing his sense of self. Well, then I talked to another gentleman who had been in the field for quite some time and he said, "Look, Elise, you know, it really doesn't matter what kind of work I do. I don't care if I'm building houses, you know, if I'm farming fields or what I'm doing." He said, I'm going to do my work with the idea that the people that are on my team are going to get more out of working with me than they could without. So I'm really going to make sure they get the best chance to develop themselves. That's really important to me. That's who I am as a human being. So he's clearly expressing himself into and through his work. And I thought, wow, that is an enormous spectrum of possibility there between those just those two people right there alone, I wonder what other experiences might populate those two seemingly ends of the spectrum. So with that in mind, what I did for my, for my dissertation was I went out and I found um, 25 information technology leaders, men and women, mostly, mostly men, I think it was two-thirds men, um, and I asked them about what they found meaningful in their work and, and found lots of different things there. And then also I wanted to understand how, how the work – how they related their work to their sense of self. How, how, how was it, what's the relationship between their work and who they are as a human being? So that was really what um, started the whole research. And I didn't know what I was going to find, David. I didn't have any preconceived notions. It, it really was, let me just go investigate. So that's how it began. Mm. So I'm curious with a, a great examples of this two ways of experiencing meaning. So I'm curious, your discoveries, your observations in terms of the difference between somebody who feels meaning because of the like external impact of their work, like the first gentleman versus the person who sort of has portable meaning that regardless of what he's doing, it's the interactions with his people, the sort of internal effect of who he is and his work. Um, can you say more about those the, sort of the different forms of meaning or styles of meaning? Mm-hmm. I can, but let me, let me say a little bit further about the work that I've since done because that okay. first research effort was really, you know, that was for my PhD was, as we all know, in terms of um, a research effort for a dissertation, you are required to investigate something and come up with something that is, that will contribute new knowledge to the, the, the base of understanding out there. And so for that research, I came up with what are called five modes of engagement. And I won't say much about them because um, I, I really did build on them in a, in a second attempt. Um, but it was really interesting. Let me just say that when I, I, I did those 25 interviews and then I came up with these five modes of engagement and then I wrote a single page describing why I thought each participant had that was exhibiting that particular mode that I found for them. 
And what was really cool, everybody, every single last person agreed with the assessment. Yes, that's the mode I'm experiencing. Mm-hmm. And, and it was interesting to hear them say, wow, you've distilled me down to a single page. I don't know if I like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some of them were like, it's so cool that you can. Otherwise, other people said, I don't like the fact that it's only a page that can sum me up. It was just fascinating. The research was just lovely. And then over the years for me, David, what happened was some of the people that have been good enough to be interested in my research, like yourself, um, invited me to, to share it with various audiences. And they were, wow, that's really cool. What are you going to do with it? You know, when are you going to write your book? And I was like, you know, you really can't write a book about, you know, this, something like this. It's just a, it's just a PhD dissertation. It's not book worthy. I knew that there was probably more that I could discover and understand. And so fast forward, um, I did graduate with my PhD in 2005. It's in human development from the Fielding Graduate University out of Santa Barbara, California. But I began, when I began um, teaching, I, been, I began teaching in addition to what I do around my consulting around organizational development, but I began teaching um, psychology and sociology classes in 2011 with the University of Phoenix. And that whole thing, I guess maybe it was 2012 I began with them. That whole experience, David, stirred up in me again, all that lovely intellectual curiosity that I, mm. right, that I had kind of somewhat shelved in, in being a full-time consultant and reinvigorated my interest in, in wanting to learn more about how people, how people connect with their work. And so really, David, what happened was because of that experience of teaching, I think I started in August 2012, in March of 2013, I decided that I wanted to augment that original dissertation research and, and see if I could find any additional findings that might be that might be useful so that's what I set out to do I'm crazy right you know I'm crazy we already knew that already right David (laughs) so here's what I did I um I set out and did interview I found 115 men and women between the ages of 20 and 74 uh, across 20 different professions and I basically repeated the exact same thing that I did back for my dissertation and this time, uh, interviewing that kind of a swath, not just a single um, area like information technology last time, but 20 different fields and across many different ages, this time I found 15 modes of engagement. Mm. Yeah, um, it, was, it was exhilarating, I must tell you, it really was. So um, I guess what I can do is I can say a little bit about, let me say a little bit about kind of what, how I went about this particular research, and then we'll talk a little about maybe some of the findings and what I think they mean to people. Um, mm-hmm. But bef- before I do, anything else you want me to queue up as I share this? Uh, no, no. You're on okay. a roll. Okay. <laughs> I am on a roll. I love this stuff. And I, and I have shared it before, so I, I'm, I'm comfortable with it. So, and, I, and I do. I am very proud of it. So what I was doing this time, David, is I, 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 in interviewing 115 people, I ended up with 2,800 pages of data to analyze, which is just a ton, obviously. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like, what exactly was I thinking? I'm not sure, but it was crazy. Um, anyway, so um, what I did was I used a program called InVivo, which is a qualitative research software aid. And it essentially allows you to be able to create categories so that you can highlight your text and capture it and categorize it as you find ways to make sense of it. So um, I knew that I needed to capture the meaning elements, and I knew that I needed to capture how it was relating to people's senses of identity. So here's where it got really interesting. As I was going through, how do I make sense of 2,800 pages? I, of course, was also looking at other, other articles to see how other meaning and work researchers kind of go about 
segmenting and looking at their at their at their data. And a couple of articles that I found indicated that some some meaning and work researchers will look at 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 meaning in relation to Maslow's hierarchy of meaning. And so I thought, well, that's really kind of interesting. And so I began to notice that, um, you know, that there were people that talked about their work. Let's just, let's start, you know, let's, you know, more on the fundamental level of, hey, you know, this is a job that pays the bills. This is how I put a roof over my head. This is how I, you know, make sure that my family is fed, et cetera. And that's kind of like the level of, it really is kind of like a security sort of a level, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I put that at level two, by the way. So, um, money and, and, and such kind of a level two for security. So and when they started talking about how their, their sense of, you know, they loved the people they worked with, the relationships were really, really important, how they were connecting at work kind of went to a level three, which is really that belonging area. Um, when they got, when they talked about the sense of achievement and challenge and such, you know, they actually were doing something along that line. Um, that really got to a place where I was really kind of in a level four area, and it was it had, and that's the level of esteem, of course, that Maslow talks about um, how people feel about their work. I feel, you know, competent. I feel like I'm responsible, etc. When people started talking about, you know, their how they thought about things or their values, they talked about, you know, like the guy that said, "I'm expressing my sense of." Um, developing others. That's a really important um, key life value for me. That's like a level five. It's kind of on a thinking level, if you will, but it's because there's a values are stronger than feelings in many ways. Um, and then as people talked more about, you know, their, they would talk about the sense of being part of something bigger than them. So, you know, people that join, like kind of the guy, that first guy that talked about being part of, a, of an industry that was going to have the second greatest impact on mankind, second only to fire, this notion of that's a both a thinking and a value. So I put it that at a level six. So it's a higher, bigger, more encompassing sort of meaning structure. People that talked about their work being, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what I think I'm here on earth for. It gets to purpose. And that's levels. I put that at level seven. And then finally, the people that really were doing work that they felt like they were connecting people to a higher being. Um, you know, they felt like they were instrumental in, you know, bringing about people's spiritual paths, et cetera, is a transcendent level, level eight. So mm-hmm. once I discovered that, right, does that, first let me ask you, does that make sense to you? Absolutely. Okay. Um, so um, anyway, so that's, that's how I kind of came up with the levels of meaning. And then, I, then what I did was I looked at how the work was impacting um, their sense of self. So the guy, there was the, a notion of self-expression, which is like imagine somebody standing in front of a podium like you and I do and expressing their thoughts. So there is a movement out from the person through, in, through the work. And then, of course, this, the other piece was people being informed by the work. Their sense of self is informed by either the work they do or the group or organization they're part of. And then there were people that had this sense of just fitting with the work or, or being resonant. And then there were people that talked about it conflicting with their sense of self. And then finally there was that place of it's just kind of a way to earn a buck. It's instrumental. Anyway, um, put all that together, David. And what I ended up doing was I found that there were 15 modes of engagement that would align with those, you know, starting with transcendent connection being the highest, which is really where the person's sense of self and work are inseparable from one another. And they are operating on that transcendent mode all the way down to the very end um, the people that were in existential crisis, which is where there was a negative connection to their work and there was a conflicted feeling 
um, either they couldn't be what they wanted to be in their work um, or felt constrained in some way and were generally miserable. So that was the spectrum that I found this time. And I know that we've only got a couple minutes before we go on break, but let me just let you comment or react or respond to what I said so far. I'm, I guess the, the thing that first comes to mind is what sort of percentage um, did you find with, if you just to lump them into positive versus negative, um, was there more of one versus the other, like those that would group into the negative category versus positive? Yeah, thankfully there there were far, far more people more actively and happily engaged than, than not. Um, but I, you know, the ones that were, were negative were, I call them existential crisis. I think there were seven of those 115 people. Um, diminished esteem, which is where people felt bad about themselves doing the work. They weren't in crisis, mm. but they felt bad about themselves. Mm. I think there were four. Um, wanting more but comfortable, um, I, I think there were five. So those were more of the, you know, the, the kind of, and then there was a conflicted fit, which is where people are generally in the right place or doing the right work, but probably not in the right place or working for the right boss. So probably if I had to remember, I didn't refresh the, the numbers for myself, I would say it was probably about a 70%, you know, more happy or fulfilled versus 30% unfulfilled. And this is what I found. Yeah. And it, which is maybe not too far from what Gallup kind of tends to find now that I think about it. Anyway, because there there's, a, there's a gradation between them. Mm-hmm. Good deal. And maybe after the break, I'd love to hear more about the clues from the people who are at the highest level, like what sort of takeaways that you have for mm-hmm. other people who want to feel more connected with their work, feel like it um, has meaning and purpose, et cetera. We can talk about that for sure, and then I definitely want to get into your article. But let's go ahead and take a short break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with David Lee of Human Nature at Work, who is also an internationally recognized authority on organizational and managerial practices that optimize employee performance. We've been talking about my research in meaning and work in relation to identity. After the break, I want to hear about some of his work that he's written around why employees just might not be all that into the organization they work for. Stay with us. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. It's time to do all of those things that you always said you'd do in your life. What's stopping you? Is it other people, your environment, fear? What could give you a push? Tune in to Raising the Bar with Amy Bredo. Our show is all about taking risks and turning them into positives and personal gain. We'll help your inner voice speak up and get you out of that comfort zone. Raising the Bar can be heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Do you or somebody you love have a struggle with abuse? You don't need to be a slave to your abuse anymore. Listen for Beyond Abuse, Beyond Therapy, Beyond Anything with Dr. Lisa Cooney. Dr. Lisa overcame struggles in her own life. Two decades of sexual, emotional, and physical abuse nearly took their toll. In her 20s, she turned her life around and set upon a path to help others. She can help you find the key to take control of your life, too. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us and tuning in, my guest is David Lee of Human Nature at Work. He is also an internationally recognized authority on organizational and managerial practices that optimize employee performance. David is the author of Managing Employee Stress and Safety and Storytelling for Trainers, as well as nearly 100 articles and book chapters on employee and organizational performance that have been published in North America, Europe, India, Australia, and China. He joins us today from the Portland, Maine area. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Before the break, we were talking about my research around um, really how people experience meaning in their work in relation to identity. And I know, David, you had a couple more questions you wanted to ask me about that before we go on and talk about your article. Yeah, so I'm curious, any key takeaways for the people that were at the higher end of the hierarchy in terms of they're finding their sweet spot in terms of what they're great at, what they love doing, and what the marketplace values? Mm, such a great question. Well, the other thing that I didn't mention before is that I also coded for affect or feeling. Mm. So I did code, and people would talk about this sense of just, you know, kind of almost euphoria almost, you know, this really fulfilled, strong sense of fulfillment, obviously. And also what I learned about those people is, no super surprise here. It, they it, they had to work throughout their careers to get to a place where they could be either living their purpose uh, or, or the second. So the very top one was transcendent connection. And no surprise, a lot of those people are rabbis and priests. And the one exception was somebody who was a life coach. Um, and then living my purpose, there was quite a few people in that camp who had found what they really feel like, this is my highest value that I'm living to. And of course, working hard and, you know, being able to develop a base in their life and a sense of self and talents to be able to find a way to monetize that in the marketplace. There were singers in there. Um, there were people that work for nonprofits, all kinds of different people that fit into that camp. And then authentically impacting society is the number third. And, and they really, that sense of just really needing to know that they are moving a needle somehow. They are, they are mattering to others is what's really important. So those first three or four, there was a tremendous, very, very palpable sense of fulfillment and engagement and pride and, um, appreciation for getting to do the work that they do. In fact, to the point, the, the guest that I that I had on some time back, um, actually in early May, she her name um, is Dr. Mary Howard. She talks so much about how she so vibrantly experiences her work and how grateful she is. She's probably a perfect example of somebody living her purpose. 
And mm-hmm. when you hear somebody talk like that, um, David, it is, it's incredibly infectious. So um, they scratched to get their way there. And they were grateful to, to be there, and they were working very hard to make sure they stayed there. That's what I would say to, to that question. Okay, great. Well, let's talk about your article. We spent a lot of time talking um, about the stuff that I love, and thank you for letting me do that, because as you can tell, <laughs> I, I'm slightly interested in love. It. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I did. I looked over your article. I think you wrote it in 2012, and I love your title, Why Your Employees Just Aren't That Into You. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> the seven common reasons. Um, would you talk to us and share with us what you wrote about and what you found? Absolutely. And just to frame frame the article, what um, what inspired me to write it was two things. One is the uh, the ongoing engagement dilemma, more specifically that since uh, Gallup started measuring engagement and publishing about it uh, just a little bit before 2000, basically the employee engagement needle has not budged globally. So despite literally billions of dollars spent on employee engagement and millions of words written, including many by me, um, employee engagement levels are still dismally low. And so why is that? And the other uh, uh, factor that inspired me to write this is just working with managers over the years and hearing the uh, common laments about, you know, I wish our employees showed more initiative. I wish they were more into asking how they can help us versus what we can do for them, et cetera, et cetera. And so I, I sat back and thought about, you know, based on my interviews with employees, uh, people, what they shared in workshops, et cetera, what do I see in, in my experience as an employee and my experience as an external consultant and noticing how some client companies treated me and um, what that probably said about how they treated their employees. So I came up with these seven items. So here they are. The first is that employees don't really understand the big picture, why it's important and why they should care. There's a classic research done by Harris Interactive, it was uh, commissioned by uh, Stephen Covey's group, which showed only four out of ten employees knew what their employer's mission was. Wow. Yeah. And I love the analogy that Stephen Covey used. It's like, um, if they were a soccer team, that would be only four players knew which goal to shoot on. Like, <laughs> you know, how do you expect to win the game with that? Um, and then, so that's number one. And number two, employees don't know exactly how to make the biggest contribution. And this is a huge area of weakness that I see. It's uh, industry term called line of sight, where employees... Even if employees do understand what the key initiatives are, the goals, et cetera, they don't have a clear understanding of what their high-value behaviors are that help those goals happen. And back to the Harris Interactive study, they found that only two out of ten employees knew how they could help their employer achieve their goals. So back to our soccer team, the analogy that Stephen Covey used is that's like only two of the players knew which position to play and how to play it. So you just, you know, picture these soccer players banging into each other, you know, confusing each other, et cetera. And just a, a quick, uh, uh, not aside, but uh, 
mini tangent to that is one of the things I've noticed in working with managers over the years is no matter how smart and people-oriented they are, most have huge room for growth in terms of how to communicate clearly and specifically this is what this is what our values look like in action, and these what these are what our high value behave what your high value behaviors look like in action. So that's you know, number can two. I, can I add on to that? One? Oh, please, please. Um, what I find interesting about what you just said there, right? And and I've seen this in the work that I've done, um, working with really leadership development, and and that's with brand new supervisors and also seasoned managers. Is you're right, all of us have to continue to work on our ability to communicate clearly and effectively. Very very hard skill uh, to master, and but such important ramifications when we don't. So love that point. Oh, cool! Absolutely. So the next one, number three, and this is uh, an area that I believe has received the least amount of attention, especially given the potential impact of getting it right, and that is employees are taught, unwittingly taught, not to care. And what I mean by that is one of the truisms that – I think of in terms of all kinds of relationships is this, when we're careless in our treatment of others, we teach them to care less about us. Mm. Yeah. And I think anybody listening to this who's ever been an employee can think of many examples in their lives, in their career of being treated carelessly. And so I'll just give you a, a quick example that, uh, ironically, um, I heard this story right after doing a television interview on employee engagement. And when it was over, this woman who was uh, in the production room or the camera room came out and shared a story about experience that she had recently in another job that she worked where she had come in in the middle of the night to um, – fill in a place for somebody who called in sick, worked all through the night, and she had worked throughout the day. And the next morning, when her boss's boss came in, all he cared about was to make sure that, like, did, you know, did we, did we fill the position? Were there any glitches? There was not a single, hey, thanks so much for coming in and working another shift, for bailing us out. None of that basic you know, human courtesy, human-to-human interaction. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and, and I know everybody listening has had examples like that. And so demoralizing, so, yeah. Yeah, and and that's that's maybe more of a you've got to be kidding example, but just like simple examples. I'll give you another quick one. A friend and colleague of mine, uh, seasoned professional, thirty plus years in her field, and mentioning how with her boss, sometimes her boss will say, "I need you to drop everything and put together this PowerPoint presentation right away, and I need it by the end of the day." And this person's a pro. You know, she uh, rises to the occasion. She always gets it done. And oftentimes, not only does she not even get a, hey, thanks so much for doing this under such short notice, but not even an acknowledgement that it was received or it was even used. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 
And by the way, this this person's boss is the head of HR in the company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Should know better. And actually, speaking of human resources, so here's here's what I think could be perhaps the biggest, you know, bang for the buck. But there's actually really no buck required to get this right. Is becoming more mindful of interacting human to human versus having workplace interactions being so transactional, impersonal, and all business. Mm. Mm. And do, I'm, I'm just going to stop for a second. Do you want to say anything? About, you don't have to, but I'm curious if you want to say anything about that, or do you want to wait until the third segment? I'll weigh in then, because I want to make sure that we have okay. time to get all seven okay. of these get to the next segment. Yeah, so I think that... That impersonal, transactional, not treat, not in relating human to human, is uh, huge, is in, endemic, and is a huge source of employees why um, they're just not into their uh, their boss or their employer. Number four, managers don't know how to create an environment that fosters passion, courage, and a desire for excellence, and so the predominant way of managing people is still primarily hearkening back to the early 20th century, you know, Henry Ford days of just pump out the widgets. And it's not conducive. You know, the Henry Ford saying is, why is it that whenever I hear, hire a pair of hands, a, a head has to come with it or a brain has to come with it? <laughs> and it's like, you've got to be kidding. So in, obviously in today's world, um, you, you want innovation, you want creativity, you want employees to have the, the desire and the intelligence to customize the customer experience, etc. But most managers are still treating employees like the way they were treated, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. just obviously does not work with this workforce in this economy and the sources of competitive advantage in this economy. Yeah. And so managers need to learn to become uh, what I call employee whispers, you know, a la Caesar Milan and the dog whisper. Mm-hmm. So I just want to qu- quickly check, how are we doing in terms of time before the next break? We have about, about three minutes left. Okay. So uh, I'll be super brief. Number five, employees are set up for the agony of defeat rather than the thrill of victory. Um, people don't remember that uh, wide world of sports uh, commercial, the agony of defeat is the poor uh, uh, skier tumbling down the hill, and the thrill of victory is whatever somebody's doing wonderfully. All sorts of fascinating research by Dr. Teresa Amabile from Harvard Business School, as well as others showing how progress and mastery is hugely self-reinforcing because it, it, uh, it makes us... Um, uh, secrete dopamine, which is a mega feel-good biochemical. And so employees have a daily experience of, of not being able to excel because they don't have the tools, training, resources, coaching, etc. And that's pretty demoralizing after a while. It's just like, why bother? So number six, bad behavior and poor performance go and challenge. Doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. Everybody's experienced that and just how demoralizing and frustrating that is. And number seven is, and this actually sort of, um, it doesn't sort of, it relates to employees are taught not to care, is employees feel unappreciated. This is another area that is so 
simple, yet in the transactional, impersonal workplace, so many opportunities for just civil human-to-human interaction of, hey, I really appreciate you're going the extra mile and doing this, or way to go the way you, and then specific feedback. All those, so many of those opportunities get missed. So those are the seven that I identified in the article. I think those are spot on, and and I certainly recognize all of them, unfortunately. Um, Yeah. (laughs) uh, And I do want to talk more, a little bit more in depth, maybe after we we cut for a a break here, because there's a couple of things I want to weigh in on what you said there. But let's go ahead and, and take our next and final break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with David Lee of Human Nature at Work. He is an internationally recognized authority on organizational and managerial practices that optimize employee performance. We've been talking a bit about the seven, um, what do you call them? You want crimes, David? Oh, that, right. Seven, <laughs> seven crimes, factors. maybe, <laughs> that organizations oh. might make that really, that really um, indicate why employees just might not be into them. After the break, he and I are going to kind of do a riff on what we've seen that maybe does work well for employee engagement, maybe what doesn't. Stay with us. and connected on our lively award-winning healthy living power hour star style be the star you are with hosts cynthia bryan and heather Brittany. live every wednesday at 4 p.m pacific on the voice america empowerment channel tune in to the power party for positive uplifting life-changing talk radio visit starstyleradio.com Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Are you in your own driver's seat? Tune in to a program that will get you there based on what others have managed to do through challenges in their lives and how they persevered. Tune in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. On our show, we use real issues and experts to help you reclaim your life. Danielle and her guests are here to steer you in the right direction. Make sure that you are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to harness your power. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. 
Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. If you're just tuning in, my guest is David Lee of Human Nature at Work. He is an internationally recognized authority on organizational and managerial practices that optimize employee performance. David is also the author of Managing Employee Stress and Safety and Storytelling for Trainers, as well as nearly 100 articles and book chapters on employee and organizational performance that have been published in North America, Europe, India, Australia, and China. He joins us today from the Portland, Maine area. We've been talking a bit about an article that he wrote in 2012 that explains why employees might not just be into the organizations they work for, which was revealing, and I could certainly certainly relate to a lot of what you said there and was nodding my head vigorously, unfortunately, when you were talking. Um, but if I can, David, for this last segment, as, as we get into talking about maybe some good practices of employee engagement, I want to first chime in on a couple of things that you said, if that's all right. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So one thing that you said that kind of really struck me, and I remember so clearly when I was doing some work um, serving various hospice organizations across the nation about their employee engagement, and I remember so distinctly, and I remember this is a hospice organization, so think about that for just a second, the kind of work that they do, um, you know, amazing, the last six months of a person's life. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that the administrative staff said about their leaders was that they it would go such a long way if when they were walking down the hallway that the leaders would look up from their clipboards and just greet them hello Gosh, right? You know, the whole notion of just being noticed, being seen, yeah. could make a difference in, in how they felt connected to an organization. So when you were talking about human connection, that came up for me. And then, of course, along those lines, this notion of how managers might, you know, unwittingly treat their own employees the same way they themselves were treated by previous bosses or managers, more like widgets, somebody who just has to be told what to do and there's an expectation that they really don't want to do it, so we have to whip them into it kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see that so much myself in the, in the organizations that I've had the opportunity to serve, thank goodness, but I do know it's out there and alive and well. and. I think there's some tremendous opportunity to really teach people to become better human performance enticers and managers. So I'll just start with that. Yeah. How would you like to talk about your perspective on maybe some good employee engagement practices that you've seen or witnessed or know about? Yeah. I'll, how about if I say just a few simple ones and, and then we can go from there? Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. And... I'll I'll pick a few that are, you know, they're not rocket science. They're simple to implement. They just take mindfulness. And so back to the, say, the lack of appreciation. So one simple thing that leaders at all levels can do is to practice being more mindful of opportunities to express appreciation. And just one little tactical idea that I loved, and I got this from a HRVP, from a company that had a wonderful culture. And one of the things she would do, and this is more a formal kind of uh, expression of appreciation, is when somebody uh, in the company did something super well, that she would send a thank you note to the person's spouse. Mm-hmm. I've heard of people yeah. doing that before. Yes. Yeah, isn't that cool? It is So cool. you think about, I, I won't spell out the obvious, but what makes that so awesome. So just being more mindful of expressing appreciation. Number two, and this is so true with the millennial generation that has grown up getting lots of coaching and feedback 
from the adults in their life is being more mindful of giving ongoing feedback and obviously not just uh, not just the negative feedback, the positive feedback. And that's one of the ways that I think of of how to make work more like a video game. One of the reasons why video games are so addictive is you're getting constant feedback. And back to good old dopamine, the feedback, uh, uh, positive feedback or just corrective learning feedback uh, with video games um, uh, produces dopamine Mm self-reinforcing. Another simple, uh, simple thing is just to be a better listener. And when you mentioned about the, you know staring at the clipboard and blowing by the employees, so often uh, I hear employees talk about their manager will be doing emails or some other multitasking when they're trying to explain some problem that they're dealing with and want that person's input. You, you mentioned also something about people wanting to be seen. And I, I, that's such... Uh, that's such a huge human need, and oftentimes in the workplace, especially in larger organizations, people don't feel seen as individuals. And one of the things in, that I love doing in my work is interviewing employees who love where they work, and what is it about their manager or the employer as a whole that makes them love working there? And you know, one of the reoccurring themes is it's clear that their manager sees them, cares about them as an individual, uh, shows interest in how they can help them grow their career and build their brand, etc. So those are a few uh, simple things that managers and leaders can do. And it may, actually, I'll add one more, and it speaks to the common disconnect employees have from the organization's mission. And this is where leaders and managers can borrow from what I think of as the gold standard in storytelling in business, which is Ritz-Carlton. And every, every day, regardless of whether it's the executive team or, or housekeepers, um, each department has a, a team huddle. And they talk, um, they talk about like what's happening in the organization or in the hotel, the specific hotel, and then they talk about a particular value of Ritz-Carlton, and then three out of the five days of the week, they share a wow story, uh, an example of an employee totally rocking it in the uh, guest um, delight category. And so not only does it illustrate to employees, this is what world-class customer service looks like the Ritz-Carlton way, it also inspires employees to think about how they can be even more world-class in their service and inspires them in terms of recognizing, wow, this is the difference a single employee can make. So those are a few things that come to my mind. Mm-hmm. Love that example. What a great example. It's so nice when we can call out a specific company and some of their, their great best practices for this kind yeah. of a thing. I think, I think a lot of organizations would like to become better at engaging their employees to do their best work, and they just don't know how or don't know how to start. So I'm hoping that we're giving our listeners some, some useful tips today that they can take away and maybe just start putting to work when they get back to work. Um, I, I want to comment on one thing that you said that, that then I think it was the second to last comment that you made about um, the importance of managers being able to really 
take time to individually connect with their with their with their employees. I think mm-hmm. that is right. So 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 important to be, and and we I, a lot of the work that I've done over the years with um, doing developing high performance teams using like Strengths Finder or something like that, where what we're really doing is we're uh, first letting the employee discover their own unique set of strengths and talents, what makes them uniquely them, right? And then getting the, the manager to recognize that uniqueness. This is, this is uniquely you, David. Let's celebrate that and let's find a way to bring the best of you out. And what do you want to develop more of, right? So when you think about, um, I had such a great example. I, I heard um, Sir Ken Robinson speak in Philadelphia on Tuesday. What an incredible human being he's. So bright, so interesting. And he gave this yeah. fantastic example, David, that I have to share really quick because it exemplifies what I, what I want to show here and what you said. He said he has an example of, um, he had, of a gentleman. He actually was a young man. And um, he actually had this weird, strange habit of walking around the house all the time on his hands. <laughs> and, um, I mean, so to the point he'd go up and down the stairs on his hands. Wow. And, yeah, just incredible. And instead of, you know, his mother was quite amazing in the sense that she didn't say, you know, would you just stop doing that? It's so irritating. Could you just walk like normal people? Come on, you know, just give it up. Instead, what she did is she went on down to the school and said, hey, do you have a gymnasium here? I think maybe my kid might benefit from being able to develop himself in this way. Well, of course, the long and story of it, I wish I could remember this guy's name, but um, he ended up being a, an Olympic champion in gymnastics because his mother saw what was special and unique about him and and chose to develop that versus trying to correct it out of him. And again, I think great managers do that with their people too. They look for what's unique and special about you and how can we really draw that out so that you win, so the organization wins, right? And that takes that special focus that you were talking about. You got it. You got it. That focus and that interest. Mm-hmm. If I could actually just also back up to something you, you mentioned about, like, where can people start? And one of the things that I recommend to people around this issue is, like, how do you break the ice? Like, how, uh, how do you talk with your employees about, like, are we driving you nuts or what? Are we, uh, like, what do we like to work with? What's it like to work here is to share share the article with employees and then ask some questions. So to ask, you know, what you know, what of these sound familiar to you? Are there which ones of these do you think we're doing? We're dropping the ball, and which ones do you think we're doing well? You know, what in each area? Like, what's one thing I can do, and what's one thing we can do as an employer that would make this? a more meaningful, satisfying work experience and help you perform at your best. Mm-hmm. What a concept, asking, <laughs> Just asking for feedback. Um, now, mind you, I, I have to make a point about that because one of the things that I, I have written about over the years is that I, I think that many organizations um, do like the idea of doing an, an annual survey, and, and that's all great and wonderful, but it, it may actually miss the mark um, in the sense that some it may actually, I think some, what I've learned, of course, doing this over the years is that some employees don't really trust that that's, you know, really anonymous. So they, they give maybe higher scores than they normally feel. Um, but if there's a way to be able to do it so that people feel like I can really say what I think, I really can share what I think is going great, what I think needs to be addressed, I think goes such a long way to continue and, or I should say, open that dialogue between employee, employer, and management. 
Your thoughts? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And that's why um, I'm such an advocate of doing in-depth interviews and not just relying on surveys. Mm -hmm. So you do get that rich data. And why it's so important for managers at all levels to develop the communication skills that allow them to create psychological safety so that employees are more willing to speak up. So just a super quick example, I just did a program a few days ago with a leadership team, and one of the senior leaders mentioned how she called out an employee in one of their meetings because they had done something really uh, not okay. And after the meeting, the employee came up to her and said, you know, I was really hurt that you did that to me in front of the group. And she's like, you were so right. I'm so sorry. That was inappropriate. You know, even though I have an issue with what you did, how I did it was not okay. So the fact that the employee brought it up says a lot about this leader and the environment that she has created where the employee was willing to bring this up. And as you know, uh, most of the time, that's not what happens. Mm-hmm. I certainly think it does absolutely indicate that. And, and I would applaud that leader for how she has fostered an environment where I love what you said, that psychological safety is so, so, so important. Yeah. Uh, Believe it or not, we only have uh, basically a couple minutes left on the whole show here. So let me, let me, at this point, David, just let me ask you, just maybe in one minute, your final thoughts about, you know, what you want to leave with our listeners about employee engagement and performance today. Yeah, I guess for me, the bottom line is it's all about the relationship and it's all about the conversation. And so if you want better employee engagement, then you need to develop better employee relationships and better employee relationships require having better conversations. And so I'm glad we sort of ended off on beginning the conversation around asking what can we be doing, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And do you have an, an, any other examples of great organizations that you think are doing, doing that well that you can say on the air? Absolutely. One of my favorites is a company named Zoomph. Z-O-O-M-P-H, and they're out of the D.C. area, and they do uh, social media analytics. And I've written a couple articles about them, and I've got material for many more because of the great stuff that they do to create not only a high engagement, but also high accountability. Hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So that's, well, a, that's a company that really stands out for me. Zoomph. Okay, awesome. Wonderful yeah. way to finish. I just wanted, and I wanted, and I'm, I'm going to send listeners to your website so maybe they can find the article there. But I really have enjoyed this conversation, David. It's been fun to be able to share our thoughts together on this most important topic that we both care about and love and work in. Um, I appreciate you joining me. Yeah, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. So if you want to learn more about David Lee or maybe check out some of his articles that he's written, um, go to his website. It's humannatureatwork.com, humannatureatwork.com. David, you are a fantastic professional, great conversationalist. Love the fact that you're so strong in your subject matter. Appreciate what what you've shared today. And I look forward to seeing you next week, listeners. Remember that work is at least one third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, 
every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.